virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Norwich 2-1 to have two wins from their opening three games, we pick over the performance, we discuss the cup draws, women at the KP and also generational talent. All this and more on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake, my name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes. Rob, we are two from three in the Premier League which means officially we are flying Mm, I don't know about flying. We, we're off the ground. I'll give you that. Yeah, kind of a stuttering. There's a little bit of a cough and a, and a choke of the engine, but we're, we're just about getting there. Overall, though, we are two from three, and results are all that matters. You can go and play five games and play fantastically, win two, draw one, and lose two. Or you could maybe just scrape through and win all five. What would you take? You'd take the win or five, wouldn't you? So if you, it, it really is. This episode is massively glass half full, glass half empty kind of. Are you positive or are you negative? And I think we're just going to be flip flopping between the two pretty much whilst discussing every single topic to do with Leicester because there's some really interesting good things this week. But also, there is more disappointment when it comes to injuries. There's the whole performance as a whole, etc. But then you got the three points, so it's it really is a bit of a mishmash. It's uh, so intriguing, really. And we start with well, the game yesterday. At the time we recorded, it's uh, it's another win, two from three, as I said, away at Norwich, a place where I where we were ex- we, we thought we were going to go and get there, uh, get a victory. Uh, maybe not in the style. I, th- I thought they would put pressure on us. I think, did I go for 2-1? I think I went for 2-1. Did I go for 2-1? I don't know. We'd have to listen back. Yeah, but possibly. I, I, I might have. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, really encouraged by the start. Ricardo Pereira, in my fancy team, very nearly captained him. Gets the assist for Jamie Vardy. And you're thinking, well, here we go. Pereira, he's flying. Vardy, two goals in three games. Eight minutes gone. Bang. And then, of course, it's Leicester, isn't it? So something has to happen. And Pereira goes off injured. And it's it's such a disappointment. Now, hopefully, and we don't know at the time of recording, but the, the, the one slight bit of encouragement was after the game, he walked out onto the pitch to congratulate players, shake hands, etc. So if he's completely destroyed his knee, that's not going to happen. If he's ripped his hamstring in half, that's not going to happen. So hopefully, with the international period coming up, that will be only as a slight, maybe just missing the next game, possibly Manchester City, which is always going to be disappointing. But it might not be that long. It might only be a few weeks. It could have been just a, a slight look to the bench. Hang on, something's not quite right here. Let's 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 make the change. So really disappointing. But then on the flip side... You've got Timothy Castagne then coming onto the pitch, who 
which happens also to be in a fancy team. I thought he might start, you see. This is the point. I thought they might too play on that right-hand side. And so you get him back in the side and having a solid game and looking okay with the mask. But a, a real... A real body blow there with Pereira. As much as the the goal was great, but it was it was just a, a real shame. With if you're looking at the side, arguably kind of the highlight really of the season so far is Ricardo Pereira. He is, and that was the first thing I looked for in all of the post match interviews and and reports. Was do we know anything about his injury? Is the knee being mentioned at all? Because it wasn't totally clear watching it, uh, sort of what the injury was. Um, and I was really, not that I should be pleased that he's that he's got an injury, but pleased to read that it was his hamstring rather than his knee. So obviously hamstrings are, are very precarious things and even sort of a strain can, can take a few weeks before you can sprint all out on it. But yeah, the, the fact that he was sat in the dugout, um, he didn't have anything visible on him, but I, I would presume then if it was his hamstring, which I found out afterwards that there was some sort of ice or strapping to the back of it and yeah just walking out afterwards and not looking too bad hamstrings are a a frustrating one because you can feel like you could do up to 70 80 percent of your sort of speed if you like sprinting speed but then when you properly go for it and and they're not quite recovered that's that's the the danger so I think it was the right thing to do especially with Castagna being on the bench and, and as you say Pete sort of being in a position to start really um, and and could have started on that right hand side quite quite possibly uh, as an option that we discussed last week on the preview podcast. So him coming in was was good in a game against a team like Norwich because he he looked a little bit rusty and I don't think he didn't do anything glaringly obviously wrong, but he he didn't look anywhere near the sort of up and down sharp Timothy Castagna that we had last season and and that's to be expected because although it's a very different kind of injury it's a similar situation to when Ricardo came back for being out for obviously not as long but then having to deal with the face mask on I know he's been training with it on um, but you know there will be sort of an effect on his peripheral vision he'll be aware that it's there the more that he plays with it the the easier things will get and the more natural it'll become but good in a way for him to get some minutes but not good in terms of the of the situation that it occurred because of I think we lost some momentum when Ricardo went off I know he went off fairly early and it's easy to say that because he got the assist for for the Vardy goal but just the way that he started the season and the the pace that he provided down the right-hand side, particularly with all Brighton, because with Perez, we know that he's he's not the quickest, but he's going to drift inside and try and link up in, in dangerous areas, and Ricardo's got a lot of licence to go around the outside. We know that. The thing with Mark Brighton is he's, he's rarely going to go beyond the fullback. So those Ricardo overlapping runs were going to be really crucial in the, in the sense that or Brighton could then hang on to the ball a bit deeper and either put a ball in the box like we've seen him do time and time again for Leicester or then sort of overload on the right-hand side with Ricardo going around him. I think we lost a little bit of that with Castagna just because of the fact that he's not played an awful lot of football recently. But yeah, pleasing that it's a hamstring and pleasing to see him pretty mobile after the game. So so touch wood, he's not in the, well, he was named in the Portugal squad, but hopefully he doesn't go with the Portugal squad, rest and recover 
and then hopefully not miss too much football for Leicester. Exactly. We'll come on to the international scene in in the uh, in the latter part of the podcast because there's a plenty to discuss there. And now with Ricardo Pereira, Timothy Castagna as well, whether he's going to be included in the squads, it's it's awkward, isn't it? Especially with with his injury. But um, but then after that, Leicester fairly co- fairly comfortable, I thought. And and in that first half, it looked like Leicester were going to be the one team who were going to go and score again. Not. It just not quite working between Barnes and Vardy. There were two or three opportunities. Vardy, I thought, was, uh, uh, was really good. His runs were very intelligent. He he completely destroyed, really, the back line. They had no idea of how to handle Vardy. I thought Norwich's game plan was very odd. It, w- it was, we're going to do that. It was like Norwich were playing as leaders of the championship against another championship mid-table side. That's how I thought they approached the game. Very high back line, and which is commendable, I suppose, but just against Leicester, bonkers. And then after half an hour, it became even more strange. I was scratching my head, thinking, what are they doing? Vardy can get in behind these at will, and he did. It was just the final ball wasn't quite there from Yuri Tillemans. It wasn't quite there, especially from Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes was frustrated in a way. His, his final ball was his decision-making was slightly slower than what you wanted, but also uh, it, with the opportunity for him to get in behind, then it was exactly the same if he was going to receive the ball. It just didn't quite click. And before Norwich scored their equaliser, you get into half-time thinking, OK, Leicester are in front, but to be honest, we should really be more. It should be two. Um, not really any real proper glaring misses. It, there was one or two half-chances Vardy had one which maybe he should have done should have really done better with but overall it was I think the final pass was 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 the issue and then came the sucker punch just before half time and it was it was cags again wasn't it it was Soyuncu being a little bit careless just a little bit rash just before half time you don't need to do it but then again, you just cut and paste what we've said time and time again. If he hasn't got Johnny Evans, if he hasn't got, we hope Yannick Vestergaard is that player as well, if he hasn't got that level head alongside him, he's going to be slightly over the top, isn't he? Or not even slightly, he's going to be a bit over the top. He's going to be the, the cags of old. And that's just never going to leave him. And it's one of those, there's been a lot of, almost vitriol against him, really, because of the challenge. It was silly rather than... I would go in a silly camp rather than rash. I think rash was okay, but I'm, it was just a bit silly because it didn't really need to happen again, time of the game, etc. But then again, it wasn't a complete wipeout. It wasn't a, what have you lunged in there for? It was... Uh, it, and then, of course, you got the VAR taking an absolute age. So there's your decision, really. It wasn't a, a, a clear-cut penalty, um, but but my main question for you, Rob, is do you actually think it was a penalty? It's a very difficult one because I, I thought, based on the new interpretations of the law this season and also the fact that the initial on-field decision was a corner, I, I, thought, we'd, I thought he'd get away with it. I, I honestly thought that, that those two factors would mean that it would obviously it will be reviewed that's what VAR is there for I, I still don't understand why people or players surround referees and go VAR check VAR 
it, it's checking everything in the background. Just because it's not stop the game and put it up on the screen saying VAR checking progress, it's it's always checking. So there's no there's no doubt whatsoever it would have been looked at because somebody slid in and somebody's gone down in the box, and 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 those are the facts of it. Um, I would be frustrated if I was the defender and that had been given against me, particularly having had the benefit of watching the replays because it's it's fairly clear that the the, the Norwich player steps into the slide tackle and I don't I don't think that's a natural place for him to be going if he's running after the ball so you there's a, there's a huge argument there from my point of view that he has initiated the contact which as far as I believe is is a is a factor that's got to be taken into consideration now when reviewing incidents like that um but the the fact of the matter is Suunchu's given the officials a decision to make and he didn't need to give them a decision to make because he was in a reasonably good position to to block the cross without sliding in because he's not sliding to try and tackle the ball he's sliding to try and block the cross uh, and therefore he's sliding to the side of the player and then the player has stepped into his path and and this this is where football rules will never be black and white because did the Norwich player do that deliberately or was that always going to be his next step? We'll never know, but it, it looks to me like he has done it on purpose, the Norwich player. And look, as much as we don't like that kind of thing, um, it, it is a game where you've got to do whatever you can to to win. And ultimately what he did got Norwich a penalty and got them a goal and got them back into the game. Suunchu is he's he's all or nothing, isn't he? If you if you told him to calm down a bit and if you took those aspects of his game away, he'd be a, a fraction of the player that he is, because the majority of the time it works. The front foot defending, the aggressive nature with and without the ball. It it's been the thing that's endeared him to Leicester fans. Uh, and the thing that's got him talked about uh, sort of internationally. But, yeah, he, he gave the referee and the VAR a decision to make. In my opinion, I'm I'm surprised that they overturned it. If they'd have given a penalty there and then, and VAR had looked at it and said, fine, there's no clear and obvious error there, I think I could understand it a little bit more. Was the, Was giving a corner a clear and obvious error when there's a question mark over whether the Norwich player has initiated the contact or not, I don't think so. So I, I think, and I'm not saying this for, with blue-tinted spectacles, and I think it should have stayed as a corner, but I can part of me can understand why why the penalty was given. Yeah, I, I don't always like to agree. You know, it's it makes almost for a better podcast, really, if you know one person has a different opinion. But I have written down the fact that it was not given as a penalty in real time and then for them to overchange, overturn it this season, not compared to last season where we saw that plenty of times, but this season that would need to be a a black and white situation. It needs to be, oh, I've made a real error here. That's a definite penalty. Overturn my decision. It's uh, and, and that's not the case here. It just isn't the case. Now, if the penalty is given in real time and it's checked, fine, okay, I I, I agree with you. There's, I, I wouldn't really have a problem with that. It's the problem of overturning the decision on a fairly 50-50, slightly towards a penalty option. And again, if I was a Norwich fan, or say, no, sorry, if it was the other way around, and 
the decision was given as a corner for Leicester. And then they looked at it to go, actually, Vardy was caught. I would look at that and go, do you know what? I could see them giving a penalty for that. But it wasn't given, so I can understand why it's not been overturned. I, that that would be exactly my, my theory there. It would be, okay, it could easily have been overturned, but we've got the corner and it wasn't given on field. So, you know, yeah, but it was given. And it will go down, again, just as I was saying before you know, before we go into the game, we've got the three points, no matter how, but we've got the three points. Um, and this is just part of the game, but it does go against Cags uh, as well. But uh, again, it's in a long list of um, Charles Yunchu's, uh kind of hit list at Leicester. Not all the good things, all the bad things, which players are always going to have, but Cags has got a fair few, hasn't he? Look at last week. Last week was a, a complete uh, uh, mess, but this was on. It was towards the, the bottom of that list, I think, because it was almost like a just an in-game situation rather than kind of a, a brainless uh, moment of Soyuncu, as we know. And again, next time we play in what a fortnight's time, more than likely, fingers crossed, touch wood, he's going to have a different centre half alongside him. Not taken away from Daniel Amati, who had a, a solid game. But he might actually play a back three, who knows, against Manchester City. That could easily be an option uh, specifically against that one side. But you hope it just calms him down. Because as a chap at uh, work said yesterday, uh, he's a hell of a player. And this is from afar. He goes, this, he's, a, he's a hell of a player, a brilliant centre-half. But he does he does a few stupid things, doesn't he? And then uh, when I mentioned about it doesn't really when someone like Johnny Evans is there. And he, he turns around and he goes, imagine him alongside Virgil van Dijk. I said, there you go, there's your perfect example. Because he's a Liverpool fan, you see. I said, there's your perfect example. If you've got that main central player, uh, who hopefully Vestergaard will be if Evans is not back, then the rest of the side is is buoyed by it, especially the defenders. And, and, and that's the absolute crux of this performance by Leicester for me. It's still the defence. Because Leicester are, and we've seen this for years, if you go back to the Harry Maguire days, especially the Maguire days, where everything came through Maguire. Too much, way too much. Still with Leicester, the way that they play, which is fantastic, but a lot comes from the centre-halves. Even if it's just distributing the ball out wide to the full-backs, but it still always reverts back to the centre-halves. Indeed, he will inevitably pass it backwards and will start the movement again, start the process, whatever the the word is that they use, the reset or whatever. And if your centre-halves are, are Marty and Soyuncu, then you're quite limited in what you can do passing-wise. Vestergaard, apparently fantastic as a passer. We know Johnny Evans is not the greatest passer in the world, but he calms everything down and he calms the rest of the side down. And that's what I think. I think that's the missing piece with Leicester at the moment. It's the back line. Not the defending aspects, which come into it slightly, but it's it's their effect on the rest of the side when they look backwards and they see Evans or Vestergaard not there, and and I think the way that Leicester are playing at the moment, the the missing piece, you know, it's a um, it's it's a whole engine of a car, but there's one spark plug that's not quite firing and it's just affecting the whole side, the whole car. That's what I think the problem is, and I'm saying that's the reason that Madison's playing poorly, but. Overall, I think that's really the issue that I have with this side. But 
fair play to them. Second half, they, they battled. They brought off Harvey Barnes and brought on Kelechi Iheanacho, who had one chance, and it was a it was a a bad miss, really. And which was a shame because I thought if he if he gets up to scoring, you want Kelechi to start scoring. You want him to go on that run of last season. I think he'd be quite frustrated with not getting virtually any game time at all. And I think if if we can get him scoring, then that would give Brendan Rodgers a real a real conundrum to do we change the formation? Do we change it so we have Kelechi and Nacho in the side? Um and him not taking that chance it's it's a shame because it would have it obviously it would have been a second goal for Leicester at that time, but it, it would have Really pushed his 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 position in the side to you know get me in that starting lineup, get me in that starting lineup against Manchester City, which might happen. I think it it could well happen, and we'll come on to that in lower later in the podcast, or even maybe a different podcast before that game. But we got the goal, uh, Mark Albrighton. Uh, first of all, it was good work by Kelechi, wasn't it? Down the left hand side, uh, it was a foul on on Madison, but it it came to Albrighton, who. Didn't have a great game, let's put it that way. I don't think he had a fantastic game at all, but he had the confidence to, do you know what, I've got a chance here, and I'm going to take this shot now, and I'm going to strike it well, took a deflection, ends up in the back of the net. And and full credit to, there's your experience, because there's your guy who has had a, a poorish game, and yet still in the position to score, doesn't let that affect him. It's got nothing to do with what's happened in the previous 76 minutes in the game. He's got full confidence in his ability to know this is the right option. And then if you look at other players, uh, Vardy, when he goes on those goalless streaks, he, he won't take, he won't um, have that instinctive shot that we all know Vardy has. And that's the best part of his game. Harvey Barnes is one. If he's not quite on his game, which I suppose you could say at the moment he's not, he won't shoot first time or the ball won't break to him. And it, if it breaks to him outside the box, he won't take that shot, which we know he will do if he's fully confidence I think most players would would be the same but all Brighton know gets the goal and City go in front and then all you got to do is then try and cling on don't you for the 14 minutes well his professionalism and his and his attitude is the reason that he signed a new contract because it really it can't be down solely to his footballing ability because I, I, I don't think he was very good at all against Norwich and, and we've spoken uh, at length Sort of in in off season podcasts and and during international breaks etc. Where there's not much football to talk about, and we've sort of reshaped verbally the squad on the podcast. We we've said that if you go in based on pure ability alone, then Mark Albrighton is is a player to offload. He's the club's outgrown him. Um, but I, I guess moments like that are justification for him continuing to be a part of the squad because if he's if his attitude is like that every day in training which I believe it is then it's a fantastic role model for the all of the other players really because how many times have you seen players body language change if they keep trying stuff and it doesn't come off whereas all Brighton just gets up gets on with it and has another go it was it was hard to watch him against Norwich, to be honest, because you know we we said it was either going to be him or or Castagna into the right hand side were, were the two likely changes, um, and when I saw him, I was a bit like, well, we haven't really got anybody else, have we? So it kind of had to be, and he didn't he didn't play very well, 
to be perfectly honest with you, against a fullback who has just joined Norwich, so does have something to prove, but made a mistake early doors that, that Ricardo pounced on. I think there was an opportunity there for Albrighton, who's been playing professional football for, what, 10, 12 years longer than Brandon Williams? A real chance for, for, for to make him look a little bit silly, use his experience and have a real impact on the game. Ultimately, he did with the goal, uh, and, and it was Williams who was sort of slightly out of shape. His body shape wasn't quite right positioning, not quite there for, for closing him down quickly enough, and that's arguably why the ball was able to squirm underneath him. But it it's a moment there where Mark Brighton has won us two points and ultimately those two points if you look at the end of the season Premier League table could be very very important so for that alone has he justified his contract you've got to say if he comes up with a few more moments like that then of course he has and the impact that he has behind the scenes can't be can't be disregarded I just want to uh, pick up on your point about the defence Pete in terms of the fact that yeah the, the defending's not really been an issue um despite the fact that we finished the game with what you would probably say three of the three of the members of the back four not first choice because Ricardo would be your first choice right back Johnny Evans would be your first choice centre back alongside Sernchu and Bertram would be your first choice left back ahead of Luke Thomas and none of them really did anything glaringly obviously wrong obviously we've we've picked apart soon choose moment i think luke thomas was a little bit loose in possession a couple of times i thought daniel amati was a real contender for man of the match to be perfectly honest with you there's a lot of uh scrutiny on him i guess really because he's he's i wouldn't say he's a joke figure at the club but he's a bit more of a, a bit more of a cult figure um where, whereby sort of kind of like Ian Acho before he scored loads of goals last season not not quite to this extent but almost a kind of like oh oh yeah we've still got that fella and, and he plays when nobody else can kind of thing but huge credit to him for for his performance against Norwich because I, I don't think he put a foot wrong in a team that wasn't playing particularly well I don't think anybody had a really good game so credit to him from a from a defensive point of view there but yeah it is it is it's the assurance that you've got of having those four players behind you. It is the ability to move the ball forward with more pace and more precision because, you know, Amati needs an extra touch to get hold of the ball, usually. Luke Thomas, his touch let him down a few times and, and it, maybe it's his his decision-making or is not quite there all the time on the ball. And the problem is Leicester have morphed into a team where that wants to keep the ball more often than not. Because you look at the back four that won the Premier League title, they were not needed to play football. Danny Simpson, not needed to play football. Robert Huth, Wes Morgan, not needed to play football. Fuchs had a bit of technical ability in him, to be fair. But it's it's a, it's a new style of play. And Amati is, is a defender. Luke Thomas is a kid. Uh, and Castagna was a little bit rusty. If you have Ricardo there, you have either Evans or Vestergaard, and you have Bertrand, who who looked, I know it was pre-season, but looked very composed on the ball and very, I mean, his decision-making is going to be unquestionably good, having played his basically his entire career at, at the highest level. So it does make a difference in terms of players' confidence in the whole team, in terms of the ability to play out from the back, and we're not sitting here to bemoan injuries, 
but that that I think you're right that that can have a huge impact on everything that happens further forward. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think Barnes had a particularly good game. His his decision making was off, and I'm not attributing that to the fact that three out of the four players in the defence are not first choice. Uh, but in a game where not a lot clicked, I think we have to praise somebody like Daniel Amati because he was very very good at the back. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the spine of the side, you go Armati, uh, Wilfred Ndidi, and then Jamie Vardy. That was the performance, really. But they had a goal disallowed. Uh, <laughs> it goes in. It was. It was. It was a corner, and I must admit, when when the corner was uh, was just about to be taken, I had a this is a goal basically moment. This is going in. It just had that feel. Uh, and um, and it and it goes in and but fortunately it gets ruled out um, for various reasons really I mean Schmeichel went mad it was um, an offside overall but it, it being obstructed etc was he you know, involved with the play uh, ultimately it was a decision that was quite easy from from modern day football so it gets chalked off and as soon as that gets chalked off right we're going to go and win the game now even though. Um, there was plenty of you know injury time etc. Uh, one player though who who <clears throat> excuse me who missed a um, missed a really good chance was James Madison uh, should have scored what was it just before the hour mark um, in the six yard box should have scored snatched at it and yeah it was a bad miss should have scored uh, and at that stage it would have been two one Leicester and uh, who knows what would have happened from then on whether Leicester would have gone and scored a third or whatever but he. he he was off his game along with many other players in a in a game where he shouldn't have been if 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 you know what i mean when you got someone like barnes and uh, almost vardy to an extent with the way that they play the style of their game the running at players uh, the quick decision making sometimes that can not work <clears throat> it could just not flow for whatever reason and it and it didn't really with barnes vardy again was was here there and everywhere and i thought looked very sharp and made intelligent runs but the, and elsewhere, someone like a Yuri Tillemans, I thought was was slightly off his game as well. Again, in a game where you're playing against Norwich, and if you're you're talking about one of the best midfielders in Europe on his A game, and he should really have completely bossed that game. But then again, he can't just boss it on his own. He needs someone else. So you've got him and James Madison in the middle of the park. They they should really have taken that game by the scruff and gone. Look, we're just going to keep this ball. And show our stuff in a game away at Norwich, a ground that Madison knows well. But he's off his he's off his game. It's it's just quite simple as that. He is off his game. I thought there was moments where he looked okay, but overall he still looks very light, and he's slightly mo- he's moving more into what Jack Grealish the 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 bad bit of Jack Grealish where. He's starting to receive the ball and he's looking for the free kick first, which Jack always did at Villa. I don't know whether that would be the case at Man City, probably not. But where, because of maybe their position in the league, because of not being one of the top Premier League sides, he always got fouled. Whether it was a foul or not, that's up for debate. But he went down, was the first port of call. If I can go down, I will. Now there were one or two tackles on Madison, which were definite fouls, including for the the goal for Albrighton. But 
there were just a, a few occasions where when he received the ball, I was like, right, here you go. Here's your chance just to turn and, and there's a gap between yourself and the penalty area or there's a, a pass on. And he went down and I'm thinking, come on, don't do that. That's you, If you stayed on your feet, we could have started a move or we could have halfway through a move, kept the ball. And that's disappointing. I don't want that to happen to, to Madison. We know he goes over. We know he, he goes over fairly easily. But when there's the option not to, I always thought James Madison, he, he had that in him to keep the ball and to keep going. But there's, that's just creeping into his game a lot more now. And if that's the case, I think that shows a lack of, lack of confidence as well. Confidence in his own ability to actually go further than a man, to, to have that two or three yards of pace to get clear of someone. So I don't want that to happen to, to Madison. But overall, you still have to say he's playing poorly. And then Dewsbury Hall comes on. And I know many people will be saying, oh, Dewsbury Hall, bring him on, play him instead of Madison. Quite possibly. He came on, and I know he only came on for, for a short amount of time, but he looked very good. And he looked absolutely delighted to make his Premier League debut. And he looked quicker, sharper, as you would expect maybe from a player coming on with only a few minutes to go. But he he his plus points are all the minus points of James Madison. He's quicker. He was sharper. And if he can really kick on in his position, Madison, how long is it going to be before Rogers turns around and goes, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to put you on the bench, mate, because you're just not playing very well. It's quite simple. Yeah, particularly when you think that after the international break, there will be more games coming. League Cup, Europa League, all getting underway. Um, and, and there will be an opportunity there without having to drop Madison to start Dewsbury Hall and just say to him, look, you start this Europa League game, you show me what you're all about. It's, it's likely that he'll play in a sort of more advanced midfield position, similar-ish to the James Madison role. Um, then you go and prove that you are at the top of your game. And if Madison keeps sort of stuttering a bit like this, you'll get the nod come the weekend in the Premier League. And there's no reason why he can't do that because last season really was his was his first full season of proper men's football uh, and he's a bit of a late bloomer really when when you consider his age in comparison to to what you'd expect most people coming through the academy to to be so it to me looks he looks ready obviously we've only seen him for for a handful of premier league minutes and uh, and a bit in pre-season that kind of thing but there's there's a reason that he got put on the pitch ahead of Pratt there's a reason that he got given uh, a place in the in the in the first team squad this season. Rogers has had a very good look at him back in the last season, all through this preseason. It it looked like he went back to preseason, the the fittest, sharpest player on on Leicester's books. Which is if if that's not a signal of his intent to get in the first team, I don't know what is. And I think it could be. It, it's kind of like a new signing in a way. It's almost like. You've obviously signed Samari in central midfield, but Dewsbury Hall coming back from a loan spell and being this good, it it could gen, genuinely have a similar impact on the squad to, to Harvey Barnes because when Barnes came back from his loan spell, everyone was saying, get him straight in the team. And all right, it's easier in many ways to put a, a winger 
into a team who's got less experience because what you really want him from Barnes is to take people on. And if it doesn't work that time, you, you sort of give him a bit of a G up and you say have another go. Whereas central midfield, there are some more sort of intricacies to it in many ways. So you can't just chuck him in. But if he's ready, yes, you can. And I totally agree with you. He's, he, maybe, look, if you look at Madison and, and Dewsbury Hall, technically, Madison is is a better player because that's his strength. Madison's strength is his technical ability. But when he receives the ball on the half turn or when he's faced with a player that you want him to try and get around or at least get to the side of so he can so he can move the ball on can Madison do that no he's he's not explosive enough for me he's not athletic enough Jewsby Hall certainly is really really is and it's it's great that there's somebody knocking on the door to be able to replace him because you don't want to be in a position where you pay Madison loads of money, he wears the number 10 shirt and he keeps flattering to, to deceive, but you've got nobody else to bring him bring in instead of him. And so you just keep persisting with him. Jewsby Hall is a genuine contender to take that shirt off him sooner rather than later if Madison doesn't book up his ideas. And it's a healthy position for, for Leicester to be in. I thought, I, I didn't mention uh, off the back of what you said about Ian Acho, I thought he came on and looked like he had a point to prove. Yeah, he fluffed his lines with the opportunity, but he was instrumental in in the goal, in the winning goal, because would you have seen somebody like Madison try and break past a player like that? Pfft, don't know, probably not. Uh, it's just the fact that he had the confidence and the ability and the desire to do that. And he looked sharp, didn't he? He, he did. looked sharp. He, he looked actually. absolutely rapid when he came on, sort of closing players down. He looked, he was moving around very sharply, and he was probably sitting there thinking, "Well, if they want, if the gaffer wants to put another striker on, it's probably going to be this this new summer signing Daka that everyone's talking about." Everyone's, I won't say everyone's forgotten about Ian Acho, but but it's everyone's assumed that he's going to be third choice striker straight away. So he's gone on there, and he has noticed that he's got a point to prove. And I think there is an argument. Obviously, uh, the um, the next game against Man City is a, a little way away, but there is there is an argument if another centre back comes back to fitness like Vestergaard or Evans, there is an argument to play three at the back, to play wing backs, to have probably three then in the in the centre of midfield and play a two man attack, and that for me at the moment would be Vardy and Ian Acho. I know Dak has not really had the opportunity, but I think. Him and Samari are going to be introduced uh, more gradually, probably start the Europa League games to, to get into the thicker things. And that kind of competition is good because were you surprised, Pete, to see only one change in the lineup against Norwich? Because we talked on, in our preview in the previous podcast about this being a, a, an opportunity to do one of two things. One, send everybody back out there for retribution from the poor performance against West Ham. Or... One to send or, or two to send out a message and say, "Look, you weren't good enough. Out you come. Uh, I want to try this player in this position." And it could have could have advocated quite easily three or four, maybe even five changes. Were you surprised that there was only one? Not really. I, I was always advocating if they were going to have the opportunity to go to a back three, that could have been a way to then get Kalaji Nacho, who we've been talking about, in the side. The obvious problem with that is there's no room for Harvey Barnes. That's the problem with 3-5-2. 3-5-2 would be perfect 
if you can somehow have Harvey Barnes in there. It doesn't work. I think 3-5-2 would be ideal for Dewsbury Hall instead of Madison in that role. I think it works for Madison as well. It just gives that extra bit of, not cover, but help in that position behind Vardy because you've got Kelechi Inacho there as that other player. I think Dewsbury Hall in that scenario would be ideal. But I'm not surprised they went with that purely because of the fixtures. And the fixtures... We'll come on to them now. Just looking in the next, when we come back after the international break, which I think comes at a perfect time for Leicester, on the back of this win, right, three games in the Premier League. In these three games, I'm going to go with my strongest side that I know. I think that was the plan. So Barnes is going to start those three games. Vardy's going to start those three games. As long as they're fit, that's going to be the plan. I don't think Dakar or Samari, unless they came on and did something amazing, were never going to start or feature unless they have to come off the bench. I just think that that three-game section was going to be the case. And then we'll address it from there. Looking at the fixture list, when we come back to play against Man City, the next three weeks, it's game on a weekend, game in midweek. So it's Leicester Man City. After that, and we'll come on to the Europa League and the draw. Um, game in the Europa League. Premier League away at Brighton, game in the League Cup, game away at uh, home against Burnley, game away in the Europa League. So the fixtures then come thick and fast, and that's when the squad will appear. That's when Daka uh, more than likely will probably start, and 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 Samare more than likely, I'd imagine, would probably start in say a game away at Millwall in the Cup, rather than maybe ahead of Ndidi in a European game. And um, and then possible changes elsewhere. So I'm not surprised there was only one change. I'm not surprised overall it was all Brighton who came to the side. I'd I'd love to have seen say again Dewsbury Hall in that position. Can he play on the right of a three behind? A four? Of course he can. I can't see any reason for that. Him and Madison in the same side, flipping over between themselves on the right and in the centre. I can't see that being a problem at all. But he went with the experience, he went with Albrighton, ultimately, he scored the winning goal in a 2-1 win. So, no, I'm not surprised. Um, I would like to see them adapt the situation, adapt the team to get Kelechi Inacho in the side. I thought he looked quick, sharp, um, very quick, in fact. And towards the end of last season, when he was on that um, amazing run of form, he, he did look sharp and quick, as much as he we know he can finish. And we know when he's full of confidence, he can just shoot from anywhere and it goes in the back of the net. So I, I think that needs to happen. And it needs to happen if it replaces Madison, if it means playing three at the back, if it means having a, a, a different formation that we've not even thought of, then then that's the case. Then it, it's just the way I think it has to happen. As much as we'd like to see Dakar in the side, as as much as we said Dewsbury Hall or Samare or whoever... I would like the first player to get in this side to be Kelechi Inacho. I think it's it's time for him. But this international period has come at a good time. And it will be it'll be interesting to find out who actually goes away with their with their country. Because there's some massive issues, first of all, regarding players being released to, to countries who are on the red list. Now the red list I know would changes every single day, but the Premier League have banned players from international duty. Now, how this is going to go down with FIFA, no idea. But the Premier League have banned players from actually going to their country if it's on a red list. Now, at the time of recording, there's only, I'm aware of, two players who are actually going to go against this ban. 
and that's Martinez and Buendia at Villa. They're going to go to Argentina against the will of the club, against the will of the FA. Uh, there's possibility that a few players from Tottenham might do the same. But when it comes to Leicester, because who cares about them, I, I don't think that will be a problem. But, which is good, because it means that they're in the training ground for an extra two weeks. Uh, but these those players who, who are being called up do they go to the squad? Now, Johnny Evans was was in the Northern Ireland squad. How? I don't understand what that's there for. Is it just default? Is it because his name is ingrained? Or is it there's a big pad of paper where they write down the squad? And because Johnny Evans has been in the squad for the last two decades, his name is just engraved in the sheets below. Yeah, the, bi- so the biros be- run through onto the next sheets, doesn't it? No, the, the manager of Northern Ireland said he knows about the... Obviously knows about the injury. He's been... He's, called him up with Leicester's blessing um, and they just sort of want him around the training ground and if they can get him to a point where he's got half an hour of a, of a friendly in him then then that's why they've called him up basically you know similar to sort of how not to the same extent but how like Maguire and Henderson got the call up to the England squad for for the Euros I guess I mean why, why wouldn't you want Johnny Evans around the amount of praise that we heap on him weekly on this podcast but yeah I don't think they're bringing him in to play every minute of every game and and damage his foot beyond repair thankfully yeah I, I still think that's a bit weird though this is a guy who's injured he's he's injured and he's he's having his recovery so I, I don't think oh yeah here's Johnny oh limping limping limpin are you oh, you're gonna be good aren't you? you're gonna be good fun nah stay I, I would like him to stay Castagna now we know he's played. Is he going to go to Belgium? I would be. Castagno is the, the the one player I think if he if he does go, I don't think that's a problem. He get minutes into his legs. Um, Ricardo Pereira was called up by Portugal. He surely now can't go. He surely can't go. He needs to sit at Seagrave for the next two weeks with his I don't know leg in the air covered in ice. I don't know how it works. <laughs> but um but but he needs to stay. I think this this period does come at a good time for Leicester because we do have some of those big problems at the back and hopefully by the time we come around to play against Manchester City of all teams uh we will have one or two players back. Hopefully. I think you're right it's come at a good time because it's not going to is not going to halt any particular momentum because although we have won two out of our three games, I wouldn't necessarily say that that Leicester are in such a rich vein of vein of form that you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, I hate international break. We've started with a bang, and now it's going to slow everything everything down." And you've got the risk of injured players and blah blah blah. I don't think that's the case. I think it's uh, we'll sort of take those first three games as as warm up games, if you like. Bonus that we've got six points from them. Get a few players back to nearish fitness have lots more time together at Seagrave obviously world class facilities hopefully not too many players will go away because of all of these different restrictions and and then ready to hit the ground running again come Man City obviously not the ideal place to not the ideal fixture to return from an international break with but preparations won't be that interrupted as they as they normally are so it's a, it's a good opportunity to get everybody back together take stock of what's happened in the first three games nurse a couple of niggles and let's say start the season properly because i don't i don't want these this sort of scraping not scraping by against norwich who i think if they if norwich can't get at least a point against us when we're playing very very averagely 
then they are seriously going to struggle even more than I thought they would. But it's kind of like a bit of a stutter, calm things down again at Seagrave, start again in a couple of weeks. Exactly. As I said at the start of the show, two wins from three. It's it's not bad at all. Uh, plenty has happened, though, off the field. Now, the draw for the Europa League. Oh, dear. Um, again, you still get that. I don't know whether you got it or, or people listening got that kind of we're in European competition still. It's it's massively exciting when the draw's made. So it could be against either Lyon, Monaco, Napoli, Olympiacos, or one of the you know the group stages, or you know, who's it going to be? One of those other sides. Uh, Napoli. We're in Group C against Napoli. Okay, big side. Bookies favourites along with Leicester for the competition. So right, who else? Spartak Moscow. Right. <laughs> and who else? Legia Warsaw. So the atmosphere group, the group of atmosphere. I mean, first of all, away days, who knows? Who knows? I instantly looked at uh, looked at the fixtures when they came out the next day. And there's one week that I definitely can't go. And it's the one game I want. I looked on the fixture list to say that's the away day I wanted, which would have been Moscow because Moscow is relatively easy to get to and it's very cheap. But I straight away found flights for 150 quid, good time, direct uh, return flights. Brilliant. But you've got the scenario of red, amber and green and all that entails there. So it's just a complete minefield. Um, you know, Napoli, Naples, uh, for a football fan, you know, you can fill your your own blanks in there. Uh, and then you've got Legia Warsaw, which would be would be a lovely away trip, a, a, a fantastic atmosphere in that ground. Um, beer would be good as well, and uh, it's it's a strange group because it, it doesn't automatically go. Oh, that's that's the south of Portugal, or that's a that's Greece. Um, it's not that kind of group, is it? it oh, that's not that's, that's south of France or oh, the lovely Lyon Stadium. Say it, it's it's not that group. And in this current time with travel, it's even more awkward. So, uh, first up, it looks strong. It looks strong. It looks like a Champions League group. When you look at some of the other groups, there's one or two which you go, ah, well, the the West Ham group, they've got very what looks to be a relatively straightforward group. There's one or two uh, tough ones as well. Uh, you look at uh, a group with Monaco, PSV, Real Sociedad and poor old Sterngratz are the uh, the whipping boys there. But instantly, it looks strong, doesn't it, Rob? It does. And yes, there there is there is a part of you when, you, when you're looking at a draw like this that, that wants so, so-called easy passage through to the knockouts, particularly as we've, as we said in our season preview, that we really were a little bit disappointed with the early eggs, well, what we perceived to be the early exit from the Europa League last season. Uh, and that's, we would be sort of placated with finishing fifth again this season in the Premier League if we went deep into the Europa League. Um, it doesn't, obviously, it re- it does reduce your percentage chance of getting out of the group. Of course it does when you're playing uh, not only teams with quality like Napoli, but as you said, teams that will, um, obviously restrictions permitting, have some serious atmosphere both home and away. And it, but But, you know, the other part of me thinks... Well, great. This is what you're in the Europa League for. You're in it to play against 
strong opponents, opponents that you don't come across very often, and to test yourselves against a different style of team, different style of play. Uh, in a obviously it starts with a group stage, but it is essentially it's a knockout competition, and it's one that carries a fair amount of financial gain for the club. It carries lots of sort of more exposure, and it is you've got to say it is a reasonably strong possibility that we could lift the trophy. Now, does the quality of the group change that? Probably not, because it's the old adage, isn't it, that you've got to beat everybody to win a to win a tournament, or you've got to beat the best teams at some point, so you might as well play them early doors. But I think it's going to be a highly competitive group, and I am thankful for the fact that we're not playing in this group this time last year, because I don't think we had the the squad strength to do so. It, this this will be a, a real test for Leicester, which you know might prompt Brennan Rodgers to make fewer changes than maybe he would against some of the weaker teams that that were in the Europa League draw. But you know, you, if you if you do what we what we said and start players like that are knocking on the door like Jewsby Hall etc., uh, like maybe Daka, then playing at that level in games which you would imagine will be pretty high intensity, then it's only going to serve the club and the squad uh, better than if it's a sort of walk-over, 3-0 comfortable win where they've not had to particularly get up to, to top gear. So it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to it, of course, because it's still very, very much a rarity to be able to watch Leicester City in, in European football. And I'm I'm actually quite glad that it's a competitive group that we can, you know, every single match day will be enjoyable to watch, you would imagine. Yeah, I'm looking at the fixtures as well. I think the fixtures have come out really quite nicely for Leicester in this group. It's It's the group where it's the fixture list where I would have actually picked. So you're home against Napoli first. So bang, here we go. European football, um, full attendance at the King Power against Napoli. What? Let's, you know, one of the real big boys of Europe, one of the favourites for uh, Serie A. So it's going to be a brilliant game. Leicester against Napoli, first game in the Europa League. Fantastic. And then after that, you've got your away trips. So you go away to Legia Warsaw, you go away to Moscow. And then you kind of have the lie in the land. So you've had the tough game at home and your two big away trips against sides that you might be looking to pick up a point or more than likely three points from. And then you can kind of readdress things because there's three more games. So if Leicester are in a very strong position, right, maybe make more changes to the sides at home. But if it's gone slightly askew and they're in third place, say, in the league, you've got then home game at home. Uh, against Spartak Moscow, you then got the home game against Legia Warsaw, the two home games next to each other. That's your chance to get your six points, to get back into a position to be in the top two or whatever. And then you finish with your bigger ways uh, trip to Napoli, uh, which hopefully would be to decide who finishes top, for example. that That's roughly how you would look at it. So I, I do like the fixture list. I don't like the, the week that, that Moscow's on, because <laughs> I'm on holiday that week. But uh, the one week out of those six, I didn't want away at Moscow. <laughs> it's that one week. Um, anyway, we'll see. But um, I, I think it's very difficult. Four 
teams in the group. Top goes straight through to the last 16 of the Europa League. Second in the league plays the teams who drop down from the Champions League in a playoff kind of round of 32 of the Europa League. And then the winners go through to the last 16. If you finish third, you're not out of European competition. You drop down into the conference Tottenham competition, the UEFA Conference League. So there's still a chance of that. Who knows? If you finish third in the league, you drop down and imagine being one of those teams in, in that division or in that competition and a side like Leicester drop down into that. Well, there you go. You, you take what you get. So, And obviously, if you finish bottom, you're out and it will be immensely disappointing if they did. Tough group. I think it's a tough group. Also, speaking of atmospheres, away at Millwall in the Cup, um, the the draw actually bypassed me. Normally, I, I'm, I'm pretty hot on the old... Um, social media on at FFS pod when it comes to the draws but uh, I must have missed out because it was the next day I realized we got Millwall uh, well the, the, the first thing really with the the League Cup was the amazing amount of Premier League sides who got through the second round sides in Europe don't play it's it, it was just incredible and also by massive margins I know there are reasons for this if you're a, a championship side or going well in League One etc then You've played a number of games more in the league, so you're going to be more likely to rest players uh, in the cup. And then you're playing against a Premier League side who, if they've been playing poorly, are going to probably play a strong side, a la Arsenal. Look, let's try and get our team scoring goals. And they played pretty much their first team against West Brom and smashed them. And West Brom are, are flying in the championship. Uh, or a Premier League side might rest a few players, and play players who are pretty much first-teamers but haven't had a look-in in the first couple of games. If it was Leicester, and we've turned up with, with Dakar and Samari and, and those sort of players playing against Newport, they'd be like, hang on, you know. And so there's an amazing amount of uh, football, well, accumulator-wise, It was uh, there was been some big wins in the week because of that. It was just, who's the favourites? They win. And um, which meant the draw away at Millwall actually looks fairly decent, doesn't it? Because as much as you never really want to go to Millwall, because let's just face it, they're absolutely horrible. And I go back to that uh, the, the the final days of Ranieri, that horrible 1-0 defeat in the Cup. Oh, my God. One of the worst performances I've ever seen by a Leicester side. It was a horrible day as well. Oh, my God. Um, but it could have been immensely worse. It could have been away at Everton or... That travel up to, I don't know, Newcastle, wherever. And they're out of it. But it, it, it could have been a, a real... Oh, you don't want that in the third round of the League Cup. you know. So overall, I think it's actually a fairly decent draw, even though when you first look at it on paper away at Millwall, you go, oh, no. But actually, no, we'll take that. Yeah, from a footballing point of view, it's it's a good one. They've come through two rounds already. We, we as one of the bigger hitters, enter in the third round of the Cup. and And they are sort of lower mid-table in the championship, 1-1, drawn a couple, lost a couple. And so from a footballing point of view, it's a very winnable game. From a, from a going away to Millwall point of view and, and those awful memories that it drags up and, and just the stigma of the place, it's not such a nice draw. But it's uh, it, it does really, you would hope nowadays that Leicester have got the quality to to overcome any sort of atmospheric issues any kind of um you know horrible tactics that Millwall 
teams tend to embody through their supporters. It's uh, it, it, Leicester should have too much for them, really. If, if we're saying that Leicester are going to finish fifth in the Premier League and Millwall are probably going to finish 15th, 16th in, in the Championship, that gulf should show itself in 90 minutes, regardless of which personnel go out there wearing a Leicester shirt. Yeah, and so we'll, uh, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So uh, so that's Millwall away in the cup. Um, other news really uh, was we we're, were all waiting. I think um, it, it took slightly longer than uh, than people thought. But the longer it went on, the more it might have been the case. And it certainly was mentioned by me and yourself, Rob, in the summer as we'd really like this to happen. But um, the Leicester women's side are going to be playing home games at the King Power. Now, the King Power surface has been absolutely completely relayed. You know, pipes ripped up, and as we've seen throughout the summer, a real job on the pitch. So the pitch is is perfect, and let's face it, the amount of games Leicester play on the pitch, even if they're in cup competitions, etc., overall, it's, it's not a lot, because the under-23s, uh, I know they play on it occasionally, but not all the time. But overall, it's not the, it's not the most used surface in the Premier League. And also, the, the WSL, it's not the biggest league in the world as well. So it, it's not going to be every single week there's going to be a game on, for example, or, or games following games, etc. And if there is a clash, um, Leicester women will be playing at the Pirelli at Burton, uh, which is which is great as well. But uh, f- fantastic news, great news. I, I, it's, it's what we said, definitely. It would be great to happen because it means, first of all, you can go to the King Power. So if you're a fan and you haven't been able to get to the King Power to see Leicester men's side play in the Premier League or in the Cup competition or whatever, or it's a nice day and a Sunday and they're playing Man United in the first game, get down the King Power, have a beer, watch the women's side against Manchester United and, and cheer Great. The season tickets are ridiculous. It's what is it 40 quid or something. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I'll be intrigued to see how many fans go and how it kind of builds throughout the season. And because of it's at the King Power, there is the chance of it being of absolutely of blowing up, really, in front of our faces. It, it could be the first game, there's two or 3,000 there, I'd imagine. And then if Leicester start doing well, and there's the bit of momentum, and people start going, oh, have you been down, etc., you could rock up to a game in, in midwinter, say, or Christmas time. Imagine... Games just after Christmas with Christmas presents, etc. And all of a sudden, there's 10,000 people at the King Power for for a women's WSL match, Leicester against whoever. Uh, that would be fantastic. It would be, uh, and, and if and that could come, become the norm, and that would be fantastic. And again, the money, let's just, let's just look at this from like um, a hard tax kind of scenario. The money generated from these games. It goes to the football club. The, the club is one, the women's and the men's side. It is under the same umbrella. It's one club. So it's just more revenue. Fantastic. Yeah, it's great. So a, a really good decision. I love the Pirelli angle as well. So when Leicester City are playing the men's side, um, all the it just can't be worked out. They're going to play at Burton Albion. Great. So for me, th- th- this side of Leicestershire, oh, I nip up to Burton and watch it. Great. You know, fantastic. So uh, a few boozes around there for a few beers beforehand. So... Yeah, great news, really good news, and uh, looking forward to that first game. Going to try and get there. Uh, I'm working that day, actually. I'm working till one, but I reckon I can get there just before kickoff. So, yeah, 
I was delighted because when I went to Quorn, where they've been playing for a few seasons, I went to Quorn to watch Shepshire Dynamo before uh, in a pre-season game. And uh, the boards that had Leicester City women, they all looked a bit shabby and falling off and there was nothing new. And I was like, hang on, if they're going to play here again, it, they need to be doing this ground up. And I, I, I said, they ain't going to play here. And everyone, you know, a few mates who was with, they're like, surely they're going to play at the King Power. I was like, well, you know, there's, are they going to keep the King Power for the men's side? Evidently not. I, I think it's a great decision and I'm looking forward to those games. And who knows, like I said, you could be halfway through the season and part of one of my jobs is, is, is down at Arsenal Women and they play at Boreham Wood. The maximum there, what, three, three and a half thousand, brilliant pitch, but 3,000 say, and they get good attendances. But just imagine Arsenal rocking up to the King Power just after Christmas and there's 12,000 there. <laughs> it would be great, wouldn't it? It'd be like, hang on, you've got your club down there. Look at us. Look at us. This is how we do it in Leicester. Well, you and I have long been advocates of, of women's football, having worked in it for a good number of years and been obviously I'm not, a small part of the growth of it. We've we've kind of witnessed it largely from the inside. I, I put it down to us, Rob. It's that, us. It's it's because of us. You know why? That's why I hesitated when I was saying that because I, I realised it was coming out like <laughs> women's football has grown because Rob and Pete work in it. Uh, but no, we've, we've, we've seen... Attendances rise and rise. You know, we've been part of sort of work in, in the past with the with the FA in terms of and, and the WSL in terms of offering a sort of uh, experience on match days from sort of hosting fan parks outside grounds to your well, you and I have both done the sort of announcing role at Arsenal uh, at Arsenal before, and so we, we're advocates of the women's game. I think most regular listeners will completely understand that. Um, but I think it's a really good thing for the club to do as well because it probably took a little bit longer than we hoped for for Leicester City Football Club to to bring the women's team into the football club and and have it as part of the club rather than just in sort of name um, and wearing the same or a similar kit. This feels now like they're properly part of the club. To, to be able to play home games at the King Power Stadium, phenomenal. To be able to train exclusively at Beaver Drive, which is a Premier League, men's Premier League standard facility. To have the financial investment to bring in uh, a lot of very strong players in pre-season in order to be competitive in their first season in the WSL. Phenomenal. The, the club... As I don't think we expected any different because you know whenever uh, King Power or, or Leicester City Football Club under their guidance go on any kind of venture, any any decision really, you, you might even have a few question marks about it to start with, but they always do it in the right way, and this is no different. This is a this is not just a publicity stunt to say, oh, look at us, we're bringing the women's team under the Leicester City Football Club banner. This is full-on integration. This is, look at the facilities that, that Leicester City women have got. Look at the fact that they're going to be playing their home games at the King Power. And I totally agree with you, Pete. It puts them on a really good platform to continue to grow because there is a clear love of football 
in Leicester and Leicestershire. There is, at the moment, before the stadium expansion, there is a thirst for tickets. There is a demand that outweighs the supply of tickets for watching football at the King Power Stadium. It's a fantastic opportunity for the women's game in Leicester. It's a fantastic opportunity for football fans and sports fans in Leicester. And I think it will all work its way very, very nicely together. And I just, I've got my fingers crossed that everything sort of knits itself together on the pitch as well, because ultimately everything else that goes on in the background is all well and good. That's, that's all controllable. What happens on the pitch is, is the main point really. And there's a lot of new players there. The WSL is quite clearly a step up from any level that Leicester have played at before. So I hope that the on the pitch um, reflects everything else that's happened behind it. But, but, but great for the club to to be so um, so open open armed in terms of the way that they have enveloped the women's team. They've still got their own identity, but they are very much part of the collective. Absolutely. And you look at the redevelopment of the King Power in the area around the King Power. If you're playing, the more games that are played there, the more events that are held in the stadium, also in the arena as well, that all helps. It all goes to money going in the coffers of King Power and the owners and thus the football club. And if you're having women's games down at the King Power, once all the redevelopment has taken place, then all the bars are full of people. There's all sorts of activities out of the ground. I mean, imagine the first game, and hopefully this happens, and it will it will develop as time goes on, but you'd imagine outside the King Power, when the men play there, there's all sorts of bits and bobs that go on. But you imagine for the women's, there'll be, because of the, the room that there is around the King Power, loads of stuff going on outside the ground for for kids and that to be kind of involved with and that to make it a real kind of like family day out because that's what you want and that's what you're targeting really that that's who you're targeting you want to come down um you want everyone in the family to come down to the king power to watch the game the football is is completely separate for me you've got it's about getting people in there and getting people wanting to turn up getting season tickets sold wanting what's the next game when's the next game let's come down early and see all the stuff around the ground but then the football side of things completely agree now i said uh, before if you sign if a team gets promoted to the premier league and you sign loads of new players loads there's there's so many examples of just that not working it, it doesn't work really if you sign an entire new side in the women's game it's slightly different because the gap between the top sides in the Premier League, your Man City, your Chelsea, your Arsenal, etc. Uh, the gap between them and then the middle sides, who Leicester have been very competitive against in cup competitions, going very far in both the, the League Cup, the Continental Cup as they would call it, and also the Women's FA Cup. I think they can really hold their own against those middle sides. And then you've got those sides who are battling relegation, just like you have in the in the in the men's Premier League, really. But there is a, a huge gap between the championship and the Premier League. And then in the Premier League, 
more of a gap than in the men's team. It really is. So you're getting Arsenal or Man City at home against the side towards the bottom of the league. And we know we've just seen our we've just seen Man City beat Arsenal five 0 So we've got a poor team against you know one of the best teams. But in in women's team, you can double that score. That's that's the difference. Uh, I I really think Leicester will be competitive. And I think a mid to lower table position in in the WSL is is just where Leicester will be aiming for. And there was a video. There's more videos going around all the time as the season just about to get on the way. And of course, Heskey's really involved there. And he's walking around the gym in at Beaver Drive, and 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 the girls are there. And 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 there, you can still see and you can hear it in their voices. They're like, the facility is amazing, and I still think it will take a few years for them to actually really probably get comfortable there thinking it's theirs and they're looking around and this is just unbelievable it's fantastic but also Heskey's walking around and they're all calling him all sorts of stuff and that and like and he's love you know you can say he's, he's really liking it and they're saying oh yeah he gives loads back and stuff but also when he's not there there was a one or two saying it's just great to have someone like that here as well and again I, I still think there is that kind of element of we, we can't believe he's fully involved with the side you know it's it's um it's going to take time for it to become the norm but it will be great it will be fantastic and I just hope that the crowd is good you know you don't want this to completely blow up and there only be a few hundred people turn up I don't think that's going to be the case at all but I think it will build and build and and I just get the the impression that if it's marketed really well which with Leicester you imagine it will be if it is when Leicester are playing at home in the Premier League shown on the big screen, look, by the way, it cost you a fiver or whatever it is to get in um, in a week's time. or Bring your kids, bring whoever. Um, if it really is shown up to be a good day out, then I think people will look at it and go, actually, I fancy that. And then the football will be second. You know, you'll start to develop of who's who, star players, and you rock up to the ground and you will not know anyone. You won't know anyone on the Leicester side. You'd be like, oh yeah, Morgan, he's the uh, he's the manager, and you're like, well, who 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 plays for them? Man United. Turn. I don't really know any of the players. Great, fantastic. Get a program, and if you got kids, right? Who's who? Put a circle around the player once you've seen them, and all that sort of thing. Pick who? Where's number three? Get them involved, and then that's exactly what I'll be doing. I'll be there going like, right? Who's the left back? Who's the right back? That's just part of it, isn't it? So, uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. And I think it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, decision. So there we go. And also looking forward to going up to the uh, the Pirelli, which I've been meaning to go to for years, but never had a chance. But now we do. Right, to finish the podcast, Rob, because we're rambling on, I am. Uh, we got an email again from uh, Brendan Harding um, talking about the, the game, etc. against Norwich. But also asked the um, hypothetical question uh, regarding... Uh, generational players, which comes on to the final point, which is about Ronaldo, essentially. So his question was, um, I'm curious uh, to who you guys think might be the next generational player. Messi and Ronaldo, of course, are historic greats of the sport, best of all time, many people would say. But they're just about to retire in, what, the next three or four years. And they're in their mid-30s. So who do you think will be the next generational player. But also, what do you think, Rob, about Ronaldo coming into the side? He, he actually mentions, um, Brendan mentions about uh, Haaland is the only name that comes to mind for him. Now, just to answer that question, it has to be, doesn't it? There might be a player out there who 
breaks out this season in the Champions League or maybe in South America or elsewhere in the world where you think, hang on, yeah, this is the guy. But it has to be Haaland. He's got everything. And Manchester City not signing Ronaldo, not signing Harry Kane at the moment, who knows what could happen. Uh, they must be looking and going, Let, do you know what? Let's go through this season with what we got or they might sign um, a player before Tuesday. Let's just go through this season with this really good squad and then let's get Haaland next year. That's what more than likely they'll go and do. Um, but he's he is unreal, absolutely unreal. And once the two who were mentioned, Ronaldo and Messi, go, he has to be that striker. Because at the moment, he's scoring a bazillion goals. And again, it's his stature, it's his presence. And as much as Borussia Dortmund are a fantastic side, once he goes to a Madrid or a... Well, he's not going to go Barcelona, is he? Because they ain't got no money. But once he goes to a Manchester City, once he goes to a, the real top echelon of European football... Uh, he will be the next superstar. And um, and there might be another one along, but at the moment, all arrows point to him, certainly. Can you imagine how many conversations are going on behind closed doors and have been for a long time already that have got nothing to do with signing Haaland right now, but maybe setting things in place to create scenarios where it's a possibility to sign him in the transfer window next summer or or whatever it it just be ridiculous when well, I bet his agent is an extremely busy man um he's the standout isn't he because he's doing it already at a young age he is he he's not just a sort of flash in the pan he's he's shown now over the last 18 months or so that he has got the ability to score loads of goals in whatever competition he feels like he seems to have everything now it's really in terms of what kind of status does he achieve in his career is is based on sort of decisions is based on 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 when when does he transfer and where does he go and it's it's based on a little bit of luck i guess with with injuries and conditioning that kind of thing because Look at Cristiano Ronaldo coming back to Manchester United. If you just took his age and you took the fact that it was it's it could represent itself as a way for him to tarnish the reputation that he that he built there, then then you think, oh God, don't go back, whatever you do. But it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He is a basically a freak of nature. The guy looks physically better now than he ever has done. And when you add that into the fact that he's got the same, if not a greater desire to continue to play football, he will have the, the natural experience that comes with playing at the very, very top level for what are we looking at now? 18 years? Mental. Absolutely mental. It's, it's, it's a great signing for Manchester United, you've got to say. Uh, and he could keep going for a good few years yet. Haaland's the only one that stands out. Mbappe and Neymar are names that are that are put somewhere near there. But I mean, I don't watch enough uh, French football to be perfectly honest with you to to know the ins and outs uh, of how they're getting on. But they seem to me to be a sort of I'll do it for a few games and then I'll go missing for a few games kind of players. I mean, those that are interested in continental football may well call me out on that one. But I just don't see them becoming the worldwide phenomenon. That that Messi and Ronaldo have, Haaland could. Uh, if we're looking for a generational English talent, then 
I mean, Jude Bellingham's a, a fairly decent shout, provided that he doesn't do a sort of... Uh, doesn't peak too early, really, because he's played a lot of football for his young age, but he, he looks a class, class footballer. So, yeah, and, you know, him and Haaland at, at Borussia Dortmund together at the moment, so obviously there's a there's a big spotlight there. It, it's... You, you don't know, really... Because when Ronaldo first came to Manchester United, he was just this skinny kid who did loads of stepovers. It, it took him a little while to get into it. Uh, and, I mean, look at the player that he's become. So it's not always the the player that announces themselves very loudly onto the scene instantly. But, yeah, it's difficult to look past someone like Haaland, isn't it? I think so. I think the only reason Mbappe would be involved is if he moves to Real Madrid, which is rumoured to be the case, and they give him the nine shirts or whatever, the seven shirts, and, and he basically just explodes and scores 30-odd goals, but then goes and scores 30-odd goals again and again, and he becomes that striker. He's an amazing player, but and he's won everything already pretty much, so he's he is one of the best in the world, but you're talking about, again, generational, but it's another level. He needs to go to a Madrid and now do that, win leagues, win your uh, Champions Leagues, just as Messi's done, just as Ronaldo's done. Uh, as for Ronaldo, uh, you know, I, I think I think if he went City, there would have been a lot of question marks, a lot of question marks about how he fits in that side with his ego, basically, and with his relationship with the manager, because they've always been on the opposite side of the spectrum. They've always been Madrid when Guardiola is Barcelona. Um, he's already been. He's been in Munich when he's been at Madrid slash Juventus. It's he's always been against Ronaldo. I'm sure they would have got on fine, but I would have thought if he signed for City, there would have been a lot of question marks and a big possibility of it kind of blowing up. Man United, I just think it's a very sensible signing. You're getting a guy. He's not going to fall out with the manager, is he? He's his mate. And you've got everyone else there surrounding the club, all the old boys from his old days there, Neville's and Ferdinand's, etc. And obviously Fergie up in the stands. So he's not going to. I think it's a very easy signing for United. It's just the sort of player, if he if they rest him for a game, have him on the bench, I don't think he's going to kick up a fuss. Um, I don't like the bloke at all. Uh, he's, he's a phenomenal footballer, he really is. And he's just the player they need, that number nine. Because this ain't the guy who's going to be running down the wing, as the song goes. This is the guy who's going to be standing in the centre, getting on the end of crosses, great header of the ball, and, and, and being the number nine. That's really what United do need, that number nine striker. And also maybe a, a bit of height there as well. So he, he is a great signing for United, really is. But um, as, he, you know, he, as for all the shenanigans and all the the kind of furore around it and and the, and the media kind of thing of course can understand it but it's not for me if Lionel Messi signed if he signed for Manchester City for example or even for United then I would have been fully involved I'd have been oh that's an amazing signing for the league when are we going to see Messi change the fixtures so it's going to be on TV I would have been really really excited then Ronaldo signing for me it does nothing for me at all. For United fans, I can understand. But overall, football-wise, it's I think it's a very good signing. So so there you go. We'll see. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of players who, who promised great things and never really worked out. You know, genera- they, were, they were signposted early in their career as generational talents. Um, myself would have been one of them, actually. You know, signposted by a lot of people. That guy 
can go on to be a generational talent. Yourself, Rob, as well. I think at one point people said, you know, not only is he going to be a world star, but he's going to be a, a generational talent. There was uh, comparisons early doors made with Paolo Maldini. I will, I will give you that. And and you would have been a generational talent had you grown another seven or eight inches. You'd have been uh, basically, you'd have been Buffon. I would have been. I would have still been the Leicester goalkeeper now. I would have been a one-club man. Uh, we wouldn't have seen Schmeichel at the club, which is a shame, but I would have been um, probably onto my thousandth game by now. All those trophies, uh, the cat, uh, you know, I would have been the new Bonetti. It would have been... Uh, it would have just been a fantastic story. It would have been a great story. I'd have been uh, had Rhodes named after me, but there you go. Again, the height. It's the only thing. The talent was there, Rob. The talent was there. Anyway, that's it for the podcast. We will be back. Uh, we'll be back before the Man City game, won't we, Rob? More than likely, although school does start next week, so I've got a job to go back to, unfortunately. Holy moly. Well, there we go. So you've got that to do. I've got what uh, about the women's football? We've got Arsenal actually in the week uh, in the in the uh, in their Champions League against uh, Slavia Prague. So I better get looking at the names on the away side, Rob. Better get practicing. Oh, God. Mm-hmm.